Welcome to the Defender Bible Study, a weekly encouragement to equip the body of Christ through the study of Scripture and prayer to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children around the world. This podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, where we believe that defending the fatherless begins by being rooted in God's Word. Welcome to the Defender Bible Study Podcast. Today is Monday, October 9th, 2023. My name is Chris Johnson, and we'll be continuing our study through the book of 1 Corinthians. Today, we're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians chapter number 1, verses 18 through the end of the chapter at verse 31. So we have started recently started the study in 1 Corinthians, and we've seen very clearly that Paul loved these people dearly. Um, he came to them at a time of, of great difficulty in his life when he was really in some personal struggles and, and dealing with some even some defeat and, and uh, felt like he was kind of isolated and alone. Uh, he writes about this uh, in, in 2 Corinthians, kind of talking about this state that he was in when he came to these people. But because of Paul's love for them, he persevered and he continued to, to share the gospel to preach the gospel, to saw uh, people come to faith in Christ and, and the church built and grown up. And so uh, he give he gives thanks to them and, and, and beginning there in verse number four, uh, just really thanking them for, for, their, for their ministry, their service, um, just for the blessing they were in his life as well. But he knew that in these in this book, he was going to need to address some, some very difficult topics with them. Um, one of the things that had to be addressed, as we looked at last week in the study, uh, in the preceding verses, we, we saw there were great divisions among them. Uh, much of this division was was based on personalities and, and who they thought was better. Uh, man, I, I followed Paul. I followed Apollos. I followed uh, Peter. I followed Christ. And so there was this debate on, uh, you know, kind of where they ranked based on the personality that they were following um, throughout the book, kind of looking into some of the future chapters, we're going to see that there was also division based on their giftedness. There were some that kind of, you know, thought that some gifts were better than others and that the people that, that people were better than others because they possessed and, and and had been gifted, given certain spiritual gifts to use. And so it was kind of this divisions based on uh, spiritual giftedness. Um, we, we know that there's going to be division over really the wisdom of the world versus the wisdom of man and, and the culture that was around them. Um, there were things that, that we're going to be looking at that uh, regarding the, the way that God calls us to behave differently from the world around us. And there was much of that worldliness and those worldly behaviors that were creeping into the church. And so Paul knows that he's going to have to address all of these things coming up in this book. And, and so when we come to the, the last part of this first chapter, verses 18 through 31, Paul is kind of, uh, I believe he's, he's really kind of trying to get them to think straight. Uh, he's setting the tone for the whole book. Uh, he's calling them to, to recognize that the, the wisdom of Christ and the wisdom of the cross, that, that, that that's counterintuitive to the wisdom of the world. Um, the, the, in reality, the wisdom of the Christ and the wisdom of the cross just doesn't make sense to the world around us. And, and this struggle continues even into today in our modern day. Uh, the wisdom of Christ, the ways of God, they run in contradiction to the ways of the world around us. And, and truly the world just doesn't understand us. Um, the cross has really become one of the most polarizing concepts. It doesn't make sense to the, to the non-spiritual mind. Uh, of course, 
course, for those of us who, who know Christ, it, 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 we, we, we're, we glory in it. We're grateful for it. But we know also the end of the story. And, and you know, when we get to 1 Corinthians 15, we're going to be talking about kind of the, 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 the validation of the power and the efficacy of the cross. When we talk about the resurrection, the truth of the resurrection of Christ, if he had stayed dead, then the cross would not have had much effect. But the fact that he came out alive, conquering death, hell, and the grave and sin, um, then, then we see the, the power of the cross and the wisdom of the cross and really just the genius, the brilliance of God's plan and God's design in providing for the redemption of his people. So uh, in, 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 in verses 18 through 21 here, this first part of what we're about to read, it really just kind of shows us that the cross of Christ just doesn't jive with the thinking of the natural man. Uh, the, the thinking of the, the wisest men, the teaching of great scholars, the arguments of great debaters. Uh, Paul's going to mention those things specifically. They all just fall short of the power of the cross. And humanly speaking, the, the cross just doesn't make sense. Uh, it has to be spiritually discerned and doesn't make sense to the natural. So let's, let's read this passage and, and then we'll kind of walk through and break through, uh, break down some of this together. Beginning in verse 18, Paul says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, and he quotes Isaiah 29, 14 here, For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers, not many of you were wise according to worldly standards, not many were powerful, not many were of noble birth, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Now, as we look at those first few verses, verse 18 through uh, uh, through verse 25, we're, we're really going to uh, see just this, this understanding, this, this, this difference between how uh, lost people perceive the wisdom of the cross and how saved people perceive the wisdom of the cross. Um, it's foolishness to the lost, but it's power to the saved. Uh, it's, it's, it, it really kind of reveals the impotency of prideful people, the inadequacy of prideful ideas. It just kind of really shows the, uh, the, the, the truth is there are some that reject and ridicule the cross, but then there are some that receive and rejoice in the cross. And so um, kind of walking through, let, let's look at that together, verses 18 through 21 again. Just kind of seeing these uh, these realities around uh, what what this what this this looks like and this kind of going back and forth, um, you know, the word of the cross it's folly to those who are perishing, but to those being saved it's the power of God. 
you know, God kind of takes the the thinking of man, the way that the world thinks, the natural thinking, and flips it upside down. Uh, in the cross, he did something that didn't make sense. The cross was viewed as something that was horrific and and, and awful, but he takes, and, and for those that, that know what happened on that cross, Christ taking upon himself our sin, the sins of, of all mankind, uh, man, it's a beautiful thing, and we're grateful for it. Uh, but to those that are that are lost in their sin and continuing to live in that sin, it just doesn't make sense. Why would a, a great leader, why would a powerful man uh, give his life on the cross? Um, he, you know, he, he says there in verse number 20, uh, again, kind of reminding us that, that it's not about man's wisdom. Uh, it's not about uh, great philosophers. It's not about those who can debate great truths. Uh, but, but instead of, instead of looking to those folks for wisdom and direction, he says, Hey, God had a different plan and God made foolish the wisdom of the world. So his, his, his wisdom, his brilliance in the work of the cross and what he did there just makes the wise man look foolish. The wisest scholar look foolish. The wisest um, debater look, look foolish in comparison to this brilliant plan that God did to redeem his people through the work of the cross. Then in the, the next few verses, we really kind of see the response to that. Uh, he says that uh, for Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. So he's kind of leaning here on the reality that that the Jews were focused on miraculous signs and wonders. Uh, they were they were looking for a mighty warrior king who would do great, incredible things. Uh, they repeatedly asked Jesus to show them signs because they were uh, they had, they were taking the the signs and the miracles that they had seen in the Old Testament from the prophets and and really saying, man, they they wanted the signs. They wanted to be able to to see things. They wanted to be able to have a tangible things that they were, were able to see and, 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 and figure out in their own minds. Uh, so to them, the cross was a sign of weakness. Uh, how, how could someone that they believe that, that would be their Messiah, how could their Messiah die a criminal's death? And so for them, they were looking for these miraculous signs and, and really couldn't accept the, the truth of the cross. Now, for the Greeks, they were they put a lot more emphasis on words and writings and philosophy. Uh, man, they really gloried in great scholars. And, and even the writings of Greek, Greek philosophers are still revered today. Uh, so to them, they viewed the cross, as, as Paul says here, as folly, as, as a joke. They kind of looked at it and said, what a waste for the leader of a movement to be killed on a cross. Uh, but the reality is that all of their thinking and all of their wisdom could not accomplish what the cross accomplished. Um, so, so we see the response here. We see that that basically the Jews are uh, they're, they're, they're st- the cross is a stumbling block for them. They're stumbling over it. It just doesn't it doesn't compute. It doesn't make sense. They they were not aware of the things that had been taught them and, and told them and the prophecies that had spoken of the cross. They they somehow ignored those things and it became this stumbling block. Where okay, maybe we could trust Jesus because of the signs and wonders. But then when you see him go to a cross, it's like no, nah, that's just man. There's no way our Messiah would go to a cross for the. Greeks, it really becomes, they, they, they kind of laugh at the cross. They scoff at the cross uh, because, again, it's like if he were really um, a great thinker, a great philosopher, if he was on the same level as some of our great minds, then certainly he could have evaded the cross. There's no way that he would have ended up giving his life in a, in a criminal's cross. And so for them, it just kind of becomes a joke. 
So some some for some it's a stumbling block they can't get past. For some it's a it's a joke and they mock the cross. Uh, but then for those who believe, uh, they experience the power of the cross, uh, and we see that in verse twenty four. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, uh, some that that were part of the Jewish uh, lineage, but then also those who were outside of the Jewish lineage. So it wasn't based on that. But those who were called, uh, those who believe, both Jews and Greeks. Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God stronger than men. So for those who believe that we get to experience the power of the cross, uh, we're able to recognize and celebrate the beauty of the cross. We see the, the willingness of Christ to give his life on our behalf as something that, that doesn't make sense to the world for sure, but it provides for us the great benefit of sins forgiven and hope restored. And so Paul is admonishing them to, to, again, just don't be infatuated with the things of the world, with personalities, with prestige, with position, but instead be counterculture. Recognize the beauty of the cross and the reality of, of what Christ truly has done. Paul then brings it to a more personal level, and he, and he kind of reminds them directly, you know, again, to, to kind of combat this this pride that had dwelled up, it swelled up in them and uh, swollen up in them, this this this. Uh, thinking that they were better based on who they were following, based on what their gifts were. He really kind of brings it down and, and just kind of reminds us all, reminds the, the the listeners here and reminds us today really of what we were before Christ and what we are w- without Christ. Uh, in ourselves, we don't have wisdom. In ourselves, we don't have power. In ourselves, we don't have position. And truthfully, you know, there, there's some people that have some of those things on an earthly perspective that, that God calls, but but the reality is for most of us, the, 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 it says here that there aren't many like that, but most of us, uh, most often God calls the, the you know, he, he, he calls those that would be scorned by the world, that, that maybe aren't uh, from the world's perspective, the smartest or the most influential or the most important. And so we, we see there in verse 26, consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards, and not many of you were powerful. Not many of you were of noble birth. But God, (laughs) I love that. God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. The reality is God doesn't call uh, the, the, the oftentimes the ones that the world would put their stamp of approval on or the world would look to. Because he wants to get the glory. That's ultimately what happens. And Paul reminds them in the in these next couple of verses that, that that's God's design and God's plan. God chooses those who are weak. God chooses those uh, who, who, who seem to be foolish because he knows that when we are humble before him, when we are weak before him, when we recognize our own insufficiencies, then we are able to depend completely on the wisdom of God, on the power of Christ, on the working of the Holy Spirit in us. And that's when God gets the greatest glory. God turns the thinking of men upside down. His foolishness doesn't make sense to the wise. Why in the world would he use people that are not as smart or not as as strong or not as important uh, from, from the world's perspective? It's because his his, his way of doing things doesn't make sense to the world. God's selection criteria looks very differently from the world's. You see, he chooses those who he can shape and craft and use for his honor. He chooses those who will give him the most glory. He works in a way that does not allow our flesh to get any glory or get any credit. And so he chooses those who would depend upon him, who would trust him, and who would give him ultimately the glory and the honor. So so why does he do this? Why does he do this work? He says at the end of verse 29, so 
that no human being might boast in the presence of God. He wants us to be boast in Christ and not in him. And that's really what he concludes the chapter with, showing just really all we have in Christ. Because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who came to us wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, redemption, so that as is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. You see, God changes the unworthy. He takes the the uh, the, the seemingly unintelligent. He takes those that don't have rank or, or importance from the world's perspective, and he turns things upside down. And he gives us his wisdom. He gives us his perspective and allows us to to see and live in the wisdom of God. He provides for us. And Paul mentions here righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. And and this certainly speaks to to the work of salvation in our life. Righteousness, speaking of that justification, the fact that when we place our faith in Christ, we are delivered from the penalty of sin. Uh, we are made as if we had not sinned and salvation occurs. We have, we have, uh, we have been saved uh, through the righteousness of God. He speaks of sanctification. Of course, this is that process where God continues to, to, to deliver us from sin. We, we've been saved, but now we are being saved. We are being rescued. We're given the power and the strength to, to grow in our maturity and our Christian maturity and to, to conquer sin on a daily basis and to reject the power of sin in our life. And then he speaks of that redemption which is ultimately that glorification where uh, where we'll be completely delivered from sin's presence even. So we have been saved in, in righteousness and justification. We're being saved in this process of sanctification. And ultimately we will be saved, completely glorified, completely redeemed. And all of this is from Christ. All of this is because of what Christ has done. It's not because of what gifts we have. It's not because of what leader we're following. It's not because that we're doing things that are popular or, or, or praiseworthy in the sight of the world. It all comes from Christ and Christ alone. And so any boasting that we have, any joy that we can find, anything that we can do, Paul says, our boasting is in Christ and Christ alone. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Uh, I'm reminded of what he said in, in Galatians 6, chapter verse 14. But far be it from me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Paul wraps up this opening chapter knowing, again, knowing all the things that he was going to address, all the things he's going to be talking about, the hard conversations that are going to be had. And, he, and he's reminding them, hey, let's don't let's don't boast in, in who we follow. Let's don't boast in having better spiritual gifts from our perspective. Let's don't boast in worldly wisdom and savviness. Let's boast in Christ. Let's recognize that the cross is the great equalizer. We all, the ground is level at the cross. We all came to Christ in the same way. We all are dependent upon on the work of Christ in us to provide for our salvation. So if we boast, let's don't boast in our position. Let's don't boast in, in who we are or what we know or what we can attain, but let's boast in the cross of Jesus Christ. Let's glory in Christ and in Christ alone. Well, let's end our time today in a time of prayer. Uh, this week, we ask that you pray for uh, our marketing team here at Lifeline that is working hard to, to share stories of impact and helping others know kind of uh, what things God is doing through our ministry so that more people can get engaged and be involved and be a part of that ministry. Uh, we've got several major events that are coming up. And even as we kind of close out this year uh, in the this, this last quarter of the year, a lot of things are happening here at Lifeline. And so we want to make sure that we're sharing those things in a way, again, that honors God. Uh, and that points to the hope of Jesus Christ, uh, the hope of the gospel for vulnerable populations. And so let's pray together and uh, we'll conclude our time. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we, we love you. We thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you, God, that 
uh, Lord, our salvation is not depend, dependent upon our our earthly rank or our earthly wisdom or uh, position, God, but it's completely dependent upon the cross of Jesus Christ. Uh, Lord, you have, have, have paid the price through your son, Jesus. You have provided for salvation. You have opened the door wide for all who would place their faith and trust in you. And so, uh, God, we thank you for that. We give you praise for that. Lord, I pray that you would help us uh, today as we go throughout our day, this week as we walk our, our walk the life that you've called us to live, God. May we uh, not boast in ourselves. May we not glory in ourselves. But, God, may we recognize the wonderful gift and blessing that the wisdom of the cross, the wisdom of Christ is in our lives. God, and may we boast in you and the work that you have done. May we remind ourselves of that. May we be that witness to others, God, when they look at our lives. May they not see what we can accomplish in our power and strength, but God, may they may they see the miraculous work that only you can do. Lord, we do pray for the ministry of Lifeline. We pray you'll continue to bless and provide. And Lord, as we kind of move into these final few months of the year, may we be faithful to share the, the good news of the gospel, to share the, the work that you have done for us, God, the work, the ways that you are using our ministry in so many different churches and different individuals who are part of those churches. Lord, we pray for the various events that are coming up. There will be new opportunities to share the story of gospel transformation. Uh, we pray for churches that will be hosting um, Orphan Sundays and Stand Sundays, especially events, God, to call attention to the needs of the vulnerable. And so, God, we just pray that you would help our team to shepherd these things well and uh, that we would be, uh, Lord, Lord, faithful in our obedience, God, to share these things and providing opportunities for your people to be a part of this work and to get engaged. Lord, we thank you. Thank you for the privilege you've given us to, to be able to carry the gospel to hurting and broken uh, children, families, and, uh, and women around our country and around the world. May we be faithful to, again, lift high the cross of Jesus, and we'll give you praise and glory for all you do. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for joining us for the Defender Bible Study. If you enjoy making this podcast a part of your weekly routine, we'd love for you to take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review the Defender Bible Study to make it easier for more people to find. For more resources and information on how you and your church can partner with Lifeline, please visit us at lifelinechild.org. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter by searching for Lifeline Child. You can email us directly at info at lifelinechild.org. We look forward to seeing you again next week for the Defender Bible Study.